Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the National Library. Uh, put my glasses on. I always forget that. As we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. I thank their elders, past and present, for caring for this land that we are privileged to call home. I'm Kevin Bradley. I'm senior curator here in the special and unpublished collections. Um, and I'm delighted, I'm really delighted that so many of you have come to join us this evening to hear from the 2015 recipient of the National Folk Fellowship, Miriam Jones. But before, before we hear from Miriam, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the fellowship and announce next year's fellow. So the annual Folk Fellowship is offered jointly by the National Library of Australia and the National Folk Festival. Inaugurated in 2004, the fellowship offers a unique opportunity for the recipient to discover and explore the most significant folklore and related collections in Australia to create their own artistic work. And I love telling people about the collections. We, our our um, manuscripts collections consist of a vast amount of social documentary materials uh, that people can bring to this. Our photographic collection uh, contains many hundreds of thousands of images um, our pictures collection generally. Our oral history and folklore collection particularly contains the largest collections of field recordings and documentation of Australia's folk heritage. I was going to say in Australia, but I think in the world. Um, and as you know, the Folk Fellow undertakes research to create a performance at the National Folk Festival and a presentation, uh, which you're all present at tonight. But even while Miriam, our 2015 Folk Fellow, is reaping the benefits of her research work, and I've just seen her playing at Harrietville, and I think she played at the front here in Canberra the other day, um, all of which has been great. Um, the Folk Fellowship Evaluation Panel, which consisted of myself, National Folk Festival Director Pam Merrigan, National Folk Festival Board Member Graham MacDonald, all chaired by the capable, as always, brilliantly capable Dr Patricia Clark, have been weighing up the 2016 applicants. And I'm very pleased to announce that the 2016 National Folk Fellow will be Chris Sullivan for his project, The Good Old Concertina. Congratulations, Chris. <laughs> oh, over there. So, back to tonight's event. Miriam's love of traditional music grew with her studies in Sydney, where she began to play fiddle with the subversive folk band, The Lurkers. With her old-time hat on, Miriam plays fiddle with the old-time trio Catgut, who joined her tonight. Now, bluegrass and old-time music are two musical sub-genres which developed in the United States around the middle of the 20th century. They draw their style and legitimacy from a mixture of traditional music and creative commercial musical development and strong links to local identity. Miriam will tell us a little about how this American music finds its way to Australia, but it arrives here at the same time as the Australian, uh, Australian folk music revival is underway and Australian country music is becoming more self-consciously Australian. The music develops its adherence in Australia from both camps, but in some ways makes its own identity somewhere between the two. Miriam's Folk Fellowship explores the fertile ground on which bluegrass and old-timey music fell in Australia and reveals the individuals who shaped its performance in Australia. Miriam's work in the National Library of Australia's Oral History and Folklore Collection reveals the peculiarly Australian adaption or adaptation of bluegrass and old-time music in Australia. So, please join me in welcoming the 2015 National Folk Fellow, Miriam Jones and Cat Gut.
you very much, everyone. We're going to start with a, a song. everybody that was a song written by Mike Hayes um, so before I tell you a little bit about that specific song I thought I'd just start by telling you about how I'm going to structure my 
lecture slash performance tonight and, and kind of where this all came from. So I'm sure maybe half of you in the audience know a lot about bluegrass and old time music and country music and half of you might not know very much. So I really appreciated Kevin's introduction where he gave you a little overview of where that music come, came, came from. But I'll just start quickly by telling you about its origins and how it arrived here in Australia. Let's have a little drink. So in the 1920s, there were some record companies in the States who were looking to expand their markets, had kind of exhausted what they already knew, and so some people went south and decided to record some southern rural white musicians. I don't think they had much hope that that music was going to really sell very well, but, but surprisingly, people really liked it. And so they went about recording all these people who had a specific kind of authentic sound or a, a sound that they considered authentic and that they thought their audience would consider authentic. So through this process, bands like the Carter Family and Jimmy Rogers, other people like that, began to be uh, heard on the radio in America. And a little bit later, or around the same time, um, these kind of bands started started coming out of the radios in Australia, because that was when, when radio became um, a common household item. So this kind of music, like the Carter family, Jimmy Rogers, Wilf Carter, Hank Snow, all this kind of stuff was being heard by people in Australia. And, and the Hayes brothers are kind of a really good example of, um, so Mike Hayes just wrote the tune that we just played, and him and his brother Pete Hayes, they were really, um, I can never think of another word. They're really instrumental in, in <laughs> creating a, a bluegrass sound in Australia. And so they were growing up in the 40s in Victoria and Bacchus Marsh and then later on in Melbourne they were listening to people, the kind of people I just mentioned, as well as people like Buddy Williams and Tex Morden and Smokey Dawson, Australian country, country singers who um, kind of were influenced by, the, by that American model. But at that time it was all known as hillbilly music. And then later on in about, say, yeah, the 40s, um, this music bluegrass started to, to become popular and it was, it's often attributed to a man called Bill Munro who kind of took that sound, that mountain sound that had the banjos and the fiddles and maybe double basses, maybe dulcimers, lots of different sounds and he added a, um, the Scruggs style banjo, which if you look at Kieran's banjo, Kieran, come and show your banjo. Don't mind the spaceman. <laughs> this is a um, called a claw hammer banjo, but um, and this is probably more similar to what people would have played in those recordings in the twenties. But then people added a big resonator to the back, so it got this much uh, louder and more cutting sound, and and started playing it with this rolling three finger style um, rather than show show the claw hammer style. The bluegrass style is more of that Beverly Hill, hillbilly style rolling, rolling thing that you might be familiar with. So, anyway, then we're up to Mike Hayes who wrote that tune. And that specific song he wrote um, way after he was in a, in, a, in a performing bluegrass band with his brother. It was, in, it was about the 1990 floods in uh, Ningen in central New South Wales. And as well as being a bluegrass musician, he was a, a Fairfax journalist. So, I guess... That brought together two two parts of his his life. That song. Um, I think we're going to play another tune for you now. This one. 
Well, it's a set of tunes. The first is called Black Cat Piddled in the White Cat's Eye. <laughs> and the second is called The Old Clog. And if you're uh, familiar with the kind of folk, uh, folks, to say the folk scene is very broad, but parts of the folk scene, Black Cat Piddled in the White Cat's Eye is a pretty popular tune and it's played by Irish players and Scottish players and all kinds of players. But um, it has a really interesting history, which I'll briefly tell you about. Um, so in the late uh, uh, 1700s, there was a, a really brief seal trade in Tasmania, and that brought some American and uh, European sealers to Tasmania. And, and some of these sailors stayed on and formed relationships, some contractual, some probably forced, <laughs> with Aboriginal women. And um, eventually this community settled in, in the Bass Strait Islands and then Cape Barren Island. And in the 1930s, there was a community hall built in Cape Barren Island where they held uh, community dances. And had this really interesting musical development because the sealers had brought instruments along with them and so maybe had a bit of an American and English instrumental or song style already. And then through listening to the radio in the 20s and 30s, they began to incorporate you know, other songs like by Jimmy Rogers and people like that. Um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. There's an Aboriginal community in Cape Barren playing, playing something that sounds a bit similar to Appalachian Mountain music. They had clogging and, yeah, that was recorded in 1967, a band called the, the Brown Boys. And so this is from, from their recording. I'll just tune quickly. This is my sister, Naomi Jones, by the way. <laughs> All right. One, two, three, four.
very much, everyone. I forgot to say, there were two tunes in there. You probably picked that up. The second one was called The Old Clog, which was also from Cape Barren. Cape Barren Island. So, next, I, I forgot to say before as well that I'm not really structuring our music chronologically. It's more musically, so it's to do with the flow of the music and also our tuning because we play... Um, instruments that annoyingly need to be retuned every couple of songs. So um, I'm kind of jumping a few decades ahead now to the 1960s and this was a bit of a, a strange tune to put on our album that we made for the Folk Fellowship but we really liked it and it, it has some interesting connections with the history of bluegrass and old-timey music in Australia. So it's called Sailor Home from the Sea. It was written, it's a poem written by the, um, the poet Dorothy Hewitt who was a feminist and a communist, although she later left the Communist Party, as a lot of people did. And um, this particular setting of the tune was um, set by Bill Berry, and it was released in the 1964 edition of Australian Tradition, which was, as you probably know, a really popular magazine at the time, and it often published tunes and songs. And, yeah, so, as I said, it wasn't really... Written, it's not written as a bluegrass tune or an old-timey tune, but the recording in the archive was played by um, Kath Lumsden on her banjo, and the, the Lumsdens were a really prominent folk family in Melbourne, and, and they, they were kind of more of the school of thought that said Australians should collect Australian music and perform Australian music and construct an Australian folk identity rather than turning to this foreign American music and taking it on. And in fact, in the manuscripts um, upstairs, there's a great quote from David Lumsden, the Lumsden's son, that's like, we've been playing the banjo for a number of years now, but now there's this crop of pseudo scrug style banjo players appearing and hopefully they don't spread like wildfire. <laughs> so he, he was not impressed with the rise of bluegrass. But they were big fans of Pete Seeger, who was really influenced by that Appalachian um, tradition from the southern states of America and the eastern states of America. And they kind of fundraised for him when he was um, appealing against his indictment with, um, at the House of Un-American Activities. And, and yeah, so there are some... And some bluegrass bands from Melbourne actually rehearsed at their house, so, you know, they weren't totally against it, but <laughs> they, they definitely wouldn't be considered um, bluegrassy by, by any means. So, yeah, we're going to play Sailor Home from the Sea for you. We also thought it would be good to put it in because um, there aren't that many Australian women who crop up in the history of bluegrass in this country, so I wanted to put, just put one of them in. Okay. 
kitchen is filled with the smells of the sea And the leaping green fishes my love brings to me something a little bit different now. I mentioned the Hayes Brothers before and we're going to play another, we're going to play a tune of theirs, the Hayes Brothers, rather than that tune of Mike Hayes that we played earlier. And they released the first Bluegrass LP in Australia, that was in 1966. It was called the Hayes Brothers and the Bluegrass Ramblers. And they put a little bit of Australian material on it, as in kind of Australian tunes that they bluegrassified. And these include Waltzing Matilda, and we're not going to play Waltzing Matilda. <laughs> and this, uh, <laughs> someone's clapping. We're glad as well. Um, this one's called uh, Where the Lazy Murray River Rolls Along. And it was a Buddy Williams song. And Buddy Williams was one of these people who took the kind of American singing cowboy model and adapted it to an Australian setting. So he was really influential to a lot of people who played, who played bluegrass. Um, yeah, but people didn't really react very well to their... Australian bluegrass stuff. They, they preferred the stuff that sounded American. So after their first album, the Hayes Brothers kind of jumped ship on the Australian bluegrass material and kept on playing their, their standard American numbers. But yeah, here it is, where the lazy Murray River rolls along. going to introduce you to these guys before I go any further. This is Kieran Owens on the banjo. Hi there. <laughs> Nick Street on the guitar. <laughs> we, we play as Catgut, but tonight we're here as Miriam Jones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
this round I had it out on the line And nature settles down in peace to peace As I sit down by the riverside My heart is filled with pain I'm dreaming of the one I love the best There's a sigh on every breeze There's sobbing in the trees And the birds seem to sing the saddest song Where the sunshine plays the more And our little cabin door Time I remember good and well It seemed then nothing could go The better fly like she's sleeping far from pain And the lazy Murray river rolls along There's a sign on every breeze There's something in the trees And the birds seem to sing the saddest song Where the sunshine plays no more Around our little cabin door And the lazy Murray river rolls along together for the Folk Fellowship and we tried to put on original material by Australian artists but bluegrass and old time music are at their heart a kind of share, they're a shared tradition. They're, despite the fact that they have a commercial history they are kind of practiced as a folk tradition and so there's shared repertoire and I, as Kevin said I was at Harrietville Bluegrass Festival Mountain Grass on the weekend Kevin was there as well and and it's, it's really fantastic because you come together and you meet people from Victoria and from Tasmania and from Canberra and you say, oh, do you know Arkansas Traveller? And Kevin's like, yeah, I know Arkansas Traveller. And then we play Arkansas Traveller together. And, and that's how, how people, you know, that's how the community is nurtured through playing these shared tunes. And so the next tune we're going to play is called Arkansas it's called Arkansas Traveller. And, <laughs> and uh, this particular version is from a Dan O'Connell Folk Club recording from the 1980s. And it was played in the, in the Folk Club by Nick D, Tony O'Rourke and John Fitzgerald. And they did a really cool arrangement of it. A lot of times people really try and emulate the, the American sound 
in Australia, but but these guys kind of put together their own arrangement of it, which which we liked. So I'm going to play Arkansas Traveller for you now. I'll just have a, a little tune first. So one that's not by an Australian composer. It's by John Prine. It's called Paradise. And I really like this. We, all, we already played this song before I heard it in the archives um, when I was doing my research. But 
Uh, I really like it for, for a few reasons, one of which is that it seems to symbolise some of the intermingling of uh, what Ke Kevin mentioned earlier about the how bluegrass, because it was such a niche genre when it arrived here in the late 1940s, it, it couldn't really find its own coherent home outside of other musical genres. Not that music genres are ever really isolated from one another, but in particular when it's so small. Um, so bluegrass players had to play in the folk clubs. I'm sure they liked playing in the folk clubs, and like they had to play in the folk clubs. They played in the folk clubs, and they also found work um, with country musicians, and so the, the genre kind of spanned across a number of different musical scenes. And Danny Spooner, I'm sure some of you know Danny Spooner. Does anyone know Danny Spooner? Yay, Danny Spooner. Um, so he remembers, no, Pete Hayes of the Hayes Brothers remembers when Danny Spooner introduced John Prine tunes into the folk clubs in, in Melbourne in the 60s. So we have a British folk singer who's introducing an American song into the Melbourne folk club. And then these guys who are really interested in bluegrass are like, oh, that's a cool song. We're going we're gonna to play that song. And um, the versions that, there were actually quite a lot of people who have recordings of it in the archives, but um, I listened to two in particular, one by June and Les Bruton and one by the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band, who are a New Zealand bluegrass band, but they played at the um, National Folk Festival, I think in 1971, and so we kind of took a little bit of their version. Um, actually met one of the Hamilton County Bluegrass people on the weekend and told him about how I'd listened to him in the National Archive, so that was pretty cool. So here is Paradise by John Prine.
flow down the Green River My soul roll on up to the Rochester Dam I'll be halfway to hell With paradise waiting Just five miles away from wherever I am Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lay Sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's Coltrane has hauled it away. Mr. Peabody's Coltrane has hauled it away. Thank you. Okay, we're going to play for you now a set of tunes. Um, the first is called Red River Waltz, and we're going to invite Naomi up again to play with us, do a little twin fiddle piece. And Red River Waltz is a Stripling Brothers tune. Um, the Stripling Brothers were some of those early musicians to be recorded in the 1920s in the States. From, they're from Alabama. And if you, if you explore the oral history and folklore archives, which I think everyone should, um, you'll hear that a lot of people from the 30s onwards were playing Stripling Brothers waltzes in Australia, particularly waltzes. I don't know if there were anything but waltzes because I've never heard something that's not a waltz from a Stripling from the Stripling Brothers. But um, this particular recording was from Cecil Chapman, who lived up in the Kempsey area. He was family friends with Slim Dusty. Um, and then we've done something a little bit cheeky. We're going to put uh, one of our own tunes on the end. It's called Dengar Falls. Does anyone know where Dengar Falls is? Hey, so many people. Dorigo, that's right. And if you are a bluegrassy person, you'll know that there's an excellent bluegrass festival at Dorigo. And we played there once or twice, and um, Kieran wrote a tune after one of the festivals after we went for a swim in the beautiful and freezing Dangar Falls. So that's going to come after the Red River Waltz, which are pleasantly both water-themed, I just realised. <laughs>
Thank you very much. That was a tune written by Kieran Owens, Dengar Falls. Um, so I think we need to have time for questions pretty soon. So maybe we'll play one last tune for you. Do auction you. Um, so this one, again, jumps forward into the 70s and the 80s. I'm going to play a tune by the Flying Emus. Oh, actually, I think there's no the. Flying Emus. Did anyone, does anyone like the Flying Emus? <laughs> awesome. Um, so as you, as you may know, uh, a few members of the Flying Emus started out as, as band members of Slim Dusty's touring band. Uh, so again, you can kind of see how, how people who were interested in bluegrass and, and the members of the Flying Emus were definitely interested in bluegrass, um, kind of found work working with country musicians. And, but then again, those guys would go to the um, Bluegrass Society in Sydney, which was more founded on a folk club kind of model and run in, a, run in that kind of fashion rather than a bluegrass fest, uh, country festival fashion. So they, they kind of spread themselves across those, those worlds. But yeah, they started out touring with Slim Dusty's band and then they, they formed the Flying Emus, which was kind of a, a country bluegrass pop crossover band. And so they really spanned a, a huge variety of contexts. They'll play in, in inner city pubs in, in Sydney and then they'd play in outback Queensland and then... Uh, yeah, with Slim Dusty, they, they started out as his support band so that the guys who were in his band could keep travelling with him. So this one is called Auctioneer and it's about um, someone losing their, their land due to, to drought and financial troubles. And yeah, written by John Kane. So here is Auctioneer. It was very cool at the, at the National Folk Festival when we played. Um, we did a similar kind of presentation to this one and the Flying Emus happened to be at the Folk Festival and it was their, their very last public performance ever, apparently. Maybe they'll get back together again, but they decided to come to the festival and, and play some shows and they came and watched us and, and yeah, it was pretty special. Auctioneer, auctioneer, bring that hammer down 
we're down on our knees. Auctioneer, auctioneer, bring that hammer down. Take my family, smash it apart. It's just a few machines and a little piece of land. Bring that hammer down on my heart. Thanks, Miriam. It's a great joy to be a, a part of all these uh, folk fellowships. You can watch all this stuff develop over a year, and then it results in a performance just like that. And I think that was both really exciting and very informative. So thank you very much again. Thanks, Now, you have a chance to interrogate Miriam about the things she found and what, she, what was like working in the collection, what was there. Raise your hands. There's some microphones to the side. And uh, just state your name when you ask the question. <laughs> One here. James. <laughs> James Ashburner, I'm one of the people who knew people like the Lumsons when they were sort of middle-aged parents. Um, Miriam, where was bluegrass strongest in Australia around that time? Hmm. Well... I think that Melbourne was really a stronghold. G given that the Hayes brothers were based there and then there was another group called the Hawking brothers who were known as a country band but also played a lot of bluegrass and there were these um, weekly sip and picks, I think they were called, where people would get together and listen to records and try and, try and figure out what was going on. Um, yeah, so I think that, I think that Melbourne was the, the real strong point um, at that time but then later on with, with the... Um, advent of the Sydney Bluegrass and Old Time Society, then maybe, yeah, S Sydney kind of caught up a bit, but that was a few decades later. That's my understanding, but if anyone was there at the time, <laughs> I'm very willing and interested to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Any more questions? Oh, over here. You do need a microphone, Dan. <laughs> it's for the tape. <laughs> I'm Janet Harris. I'm just a great lover of bluegrass. I wondered if you could throw any light on bluegrass in New Zealand, since you mentioned the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band, <laughs> who I come from New Zealand, and I do remember them when I was young. But okay. has there been a common a, a history in New Zealand similar to that in Australia? Um, I, my short answer is I don't know, because <laughs> I haven't looked into that history. But um, I know, because I met Paul Trenwith, who was the banjo player, is the banjo player with Hamilton County Bluegrass Band on the weekend, I know that they're still playing as a band, um, you know, four decades, five decades later, and uh, there are some younger generations of players that are playing with them, but that's pretty, pretty exciting. And I, I remember reading a, a little story in one of Slim, Dusty and Joy McKean's books about their life, 
where they talk about going to New Zealand and they'd taken this band along and they were really excited about the sound of their, their fiddle player who was Alan Swanson and they were like, oh, I've got this great kind of bluegrassy country sound, we're going to really impress these New Zealanders. And then they got to New Zealand and they heard the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band, they heard Colleen Trenworth playing the fiddle and they were like, oh shit, this, these guys are really good. <laughs> and then Slim Dusty went about um, trying to convince the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band to come to Australia as his touring band, which they did. And so <laughs> they have a long history of being in Australia. And the only other thing I can tell you about um, New Zealand bluegrass is that, do you, do you know a fiddle player called George Jackson? Yeah, he's a, he's a young fiddle player in Australia, but he's kind of, he's kind of best of the best and he's made <laughs> Australia his home for the last mm, 10 years or so. Um, yeah, but he's part of a genera uh, seven generations of New Zealand fiddlers, but now he's here in Australia. So sorry, I can't tell you much more. <laughs> Thanks, Alan Payne. Could you tell me who was in the Flying Emus besides John Kane? Yes, I can. Um, so there was his sister, Jenny Kane, and then there was uh, Ian Simpson, who's a banjo player from Western Australia, and he, uh, alongside, um, well, Paul Trenworth from, from the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band, Trev Warner from South Australia, Chris Duffy. I think is originally from Sydney. Um, yeah, they were kind of the first batch of Australian bluegrass banjo players. So, yep, Ian Simpson, and then Michael Vidal on bass, and Mike Karen on fiddle. And Mike Karen played for a really long time with Slim Dusty. Yeah. Uh, the Hamilton County Bluegrass Band, were they based in Melbourne for a while in the early 70s? Um, I'm not sure if it was Melbourne in particular, but they were definitely... Oh, I think they were based in South Australia for some time. But they definitely um, made Australia their home for, for a while and were travelling back and forth between New Zealand and Australia and, yeah, touring specifically as part of Slim Dusty's band. Yeah. So I didn't hear them in the early 70s in Melbourne. Right. Maybe they lived there or maybe they were travelling from Adelaide. I'm pretty sure they were in Adelaide for a little bit, but, yeah. Did you like hearing them? Were they a good band? I've got one question when you're while we think of it. Is it true that you've sold out entirely of Rabbit on the Road? <laughs> a little commercial plug for that, I think. And um, how has the fellowship changed the sorts of way you perform the music you're doing? Um, part A. No, it's not true. Aha. So lucky, everybody, if you like the music we played, um, you can get a copy of the CD we made as part of the fellowship. We're also selling our own CDs, uh, which have a lot of original tunes and some old-timey tunes on them. And part B, how has it changed the way I played? I think the best part about it was that now I feel really much more connected to uh, a tradition that exists here. Even though I don't really feel like the tradition is its own unique when I, when I gave the presentation at the National, lots of people asked me afterwards, oh, do you think there's a distinctive Australian bluegrass style? And I don't, I don't really think there is, apart from some people playing, um, you know, in Australian bands and using Australian themes and writing their own songs. But, but it's really exciting, anyway, to be part of something and, re and realise that all these people around you that you see at bluegrass festivals were innovators, you know, a few years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even, like, 60 years ago and being able to feel connected to, to all that as, as people who also write in that tradition but try and make it our own as well. Well, 
Thank you all for being here. Miriam, thank you for facing all the questions <laughs> and um, giving us a great performance. If you'd like to come down and talk to Miriam and Catgut after this and buy CDs off them, Should you can. Okay. Of which there are plenty left, apparently. Um, <laughs> oh no, just, uh, just enough. There, there might be, there might they're not be fantastic. enough. <laughs> so thank me again. Uh, <laughs> join me again in thanking <laughs> Miriam and Catgut.